whether or not we all realize it, those of us who serve the Lord are participating in the most epic adventure of all time, space, and history. I think it's about time that we start celebrating the miraculous and wonderful ways that God touches our lives in everyday circumstances. I'm Karen Pennington, and this is Daily Adventures in Grace. friends, Karen Pennington here. You're sort of getting the Saturday morning version of me in that my hair is up and wet, meaning <laughs> it's in a bun because I didn't feel like doing it. But most of you don't see that because most of you are listening to my podcast instead of watching YouTube. But I digress. I want to tell you I had a little bit of a scare last night and being me, I freaked out probably a little more than I needed to until I figured out there was nothing to worry about. You see, um, now those of you on YouTube can see what I'm holding up. This is this tiny little piece of metal. It almost looks like a jump drive. It has that metal part that looks like a jump drive, you know, like that maybe like half an inch that you push into the computer when you're attaching something, um, like a jump drive or any kind of like apparatus that you're trying to connect in. My external hard drive goes in it. Well, on top of it, there's like maybe not even a quarter of an inch of uh I don't know, plastic or something, when you push it in, it doesn't look like much. It's very, very easy to lose because it's, I mean, less than a square inch, probably a half an inch square of stuff. And I usually keep it in my, in my laptop because I have a external mouse and an external, uh, what do you call it, keyboard. And that kind of helps keep me sane. It sounds silly, but it helps keep me sane because I need that mouse when I'm, when I'm working and my key, my actual laptop is up higher, like so that you can see my face, and I can see my face, and then uh, it helps my posture, which is which is huge. So I, I can use my fingers way down low, and then I can look at the screen up high, and it, it's it has helped me health wise. It's helped my posture. It seems like it's such a small thing, but it's really increased my productivity. Productivity. Well, so last night my husband used the laptop, and I was going to bring it to him. And he said, I'm not going to use the mouse. I'm not, he was in bed. <laughs> so, I'm going to use the mouse. I'm not going to use any of that. I'm just going to use the laptop. So I'm like, okay, I'll take out this little tiny piece of metal that you don't need. I don't know why I felt like I needed to do that. <laughs> but but I t I'm going to take that out and then I'm going to bring this to you. So then in the meantime, I brought it to him and a few things dropped in my office. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, I can't find this. It's this little thing that you can't use. I don't know what it's called. The controller thing that I can't use my wireless mouse or wireless keyboard without, and so um, I'm freaking out a little bit after a while because I can't find it anywhere. I mean, I'm looking under the. I, I thought I was gonna have to have my husband have Ben help, and I mean, he has a bum leg, so that would have been hard. And I'm trying to use flashlights, and I'm looking all over, and I'm kind of freaking out because I I need this I need this thing like I can't work productively or healthily. I don't like crunch like doing that thing where you crunch your neck down. That was hurting me. And plus, I was tired and it was night, so I was overreacting. But <laughs> I just couldn't find it anywhere. And like, like I don't know if you understand. It's not just about this little thing. Like, I could lose a wireless mouse and still use a keyboard. I could use a keyboard and still use a wireless mouse. But I, I'm this little missing link. This, this tiny little thing. I don't know what even it's even called. And super easy to lose because it's so tiny and minuscule. And but I can't do anything. 
like I'd have to rearrange my, I literally would have to rearrange my office because I can't type like, you know, like this with my hands up in the air. And then the posture would change my ability to be productive and just all these different things. Like my office is set up in a way that I can function. It's like, I can't function without this. It's too important. It's like this missing link. And I'm going over and over and over. And then, you know, it occurs to me, okay, here's the obvious thing. I went in, sat down next to my, laid down next to my husband in bed and realized this little tiny piece of metal was still in the computer. <laughs> I was thinking about taking it out. And while I was thinking about taking it out, I did something else and then didn't take it out. So there it was all along where I had left it. <laughs> Crisis averted. Uh, <laughs> but it did make me, think, make me think of someone who knows where we're at all the time. And yet we call ourselves lost because sometimes we don't know where we're at. You know, you know, this thing was in the same right place all along. I didn't know where it was at. But in God's case, um, often we refer to ourselves as lost and God finding us um, because we're lost. God's not lost. God hasn't lost us. We've lost ourselves, you know. Uh, but I'm not even thinking so much about that as as the value, the, the value that I attached to this little piece of metal, this little tiny piece of metal with, you know, a quarter inch, square inch, maybe of plastic attached to it. I, it was so important and it wasn't just about the metal itself. It wasn't just about what it looked like. It was its connection to everything else. It was, it was this, I still don't know what it's called, this metal thingy is more than just a metal thingy, you know? It was about it being a missing link. It was about a connection. It was about everything that it could offer and everything that it connected to. Um, and then I thought of God. You know, in, in Luke 15, Jesus tells these three very familiar parables about lost things. One is a lost sheep, one among a hundred. One is a lost coin, one among ten. One is a lost son, one among two. And it really didn't matter whether it was one among a hundred, one among two, or one among ten. <laughs> it was one. It was a person. I mean, think about it as a parent. I'm thinking about it as a parent. As an animal lover. Doesn't matter how many animals you have, if you really love them, and one gets lost, it still hurts your heart, you know. Even more so as a parent. Would, oh my gosh. I'm just kill my heart, break it in a million pieces if something happened when my daughter was lost. My pastors have seven children. It would not hurt their heart any less if one of the seven was lost. It's not like, ah, it's not like, you know, I have seven pair of shoes, I can lose one. It's not that. It's not just one among many. It's one of eternal value, and it doesn't matter how many are. The one of eternal value, and Again, I'm thinking about this little thing. It wasn't so much about just that little thing. It was the connection. It was the value beyond the little thing itself that I lost. It was the way it connected to others. It was the way that I could use it. It was what it had done for me. And the fact that I couldn't use anything else without it. And it was more than just a piece of metal, you know? It was more than just what it was. It's, it sounds weird. It was more than what it was. And how much more would our Heavenly Father think that way about us? Our Creator. I didn't make this. I bought it. You know, I couldn't make it. I'm so bad at that kind of stuff. But our Heavenly Father, He loves every one of us. 
And when the Bible says God's going to leave the 99 and chase after us, it's not, it's not about the 99 being unvaluable. It's not. The 99 are, we're in a place where there wasn't going to be falling into other things, you know, and the 99 were safe. It's about valuing that one. It's not about devaluing the 99. It's about valuing the one. It's like the parent who might have 10 kids and one of them goes to the hospital. Well, you go to the hospital with the one kid, you make sure the other nine are taken care of, but you go to the one who needs you the most, you know. And so I just want to read this. Um, and there's context here. that there, It's told in the book of Matthew and it's told in the book of Luke. And different each each author gives a different context in the book of Matthew it's told in the context of people you know sometimes they tried to keep children away from Jesus and Jesus said no they're important they're important and children were seen as kind of insignificant seen but not heard back then you know eventually they were farm workers they were they were definitely um valued in the sense of what they were going to give or what they were developing to give but as children they were just seedlings you know, and Jesus was really saying, you need to value these. And in Luke 15, which is what I'll read, the context was they were grumbling because Jesus was meeting with what they called tax collectors and sinners. They said, uh, Luke 15, too, and this is the Common English Bible, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And he's specifically talking about Jesus gathering with, as it says in verse 1, tax collectors and sinners. Well, quote-unquote sinners. We're all sinners, but, you know, people whose lifestyles were being put forth as unholy. Uh, which is fair, because there are people who live lifestyles that are very visibly unholy. Uh, people who live in a sinful lifestyle. And, uh, or at least so they said. So the Pharisees said. And... I'm sure it was at the same time because probably both were happening. Basically, Jesus was welcoming people of different ages, of different backgrounds, and some of them the Pharisees did not consider were worthy. And so Jesus told this parable. This is verse 3. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he's thrilled and places it on his shoulders. I'm getting a picture here of my... <laughs> My pastor one time was preaching, and his little, one of his, I think he only had six at the time, might have been seven, might have been had a baby, but number six came up right on the platform while he was preaching, and he didn't push him away. He put him up literally around his neck. <laughs> he almost wore him like a boa, which I guess was a very comforting thing, and he, he didn't miss a beat. He continued preaching about the love of God and demonstrating the love of God while his little sheepling <laughs> was on his shoulders. Um, I digress a bit. So, 15.6. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and says to them, Celebrate with me, because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Now, that was verse 7, and I'm very intrigued by the translation of this. Uh, other places go, there will be much joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. The word actually is repent. It's metanoia. Meta 
means to change, what actually means to change after. So, like, I wasn't there to begin with, but this happened and then I changed. So repentance is I've come into contact with something or someone who is truth or what I think is better, and then I'm changing to their point of view after being with them. Um, and then noia is from noeho, which means perceive or think, to change one's thinking. Now, I can understand why in the Common English Version they say to change, let's see, to change both heart and life. Because when we Americanize things, sometimes we water them down. So sometimes when we think of repenting, we think of just saying I'm sorry. That's not full repenting. Just saying I'm sorry, just thinking I shouldn't do that, that's not full repenting. Um, because it's one thing to say, I shouldn't have, I, that was bad that I did it. It's another thing to say, I really truly believe that I shouldn't be doing this. Now, true full conviction, when it's conceived, it, there can be a conception of it in your mind, but when it is given birth in your heart, it will change what you do. I'm working on that. <laughs> with my eating habits, with other things, because I'll be honest, some of the things like the way I treat my body and my eating habits and other kinds of things, maybe being on social media a little too much, my need to rest, I a lot of times fall out of that rest thing and I go back into stuff and thinking and I can't shut my brain down and and, and there is a conviction in my heart that I need to be healthy, but sometimes that doesn't conceive into full what we call repentance. Because repentance, when you truly change, listen, a truly changed mind leads to truly changed actions. You can say lifestyle, you can say lives, but if you truly, truly, when full birth of conviction gives, gives birth inside you, things change. And usually when we have problems with addictions, when we have problems with uh, just anything that's harmful to ourselves or others, with any kind of lifestyle or action, it's often because something still has a hold of our brain. It may be that physical things happen, like the physical withdrawal, and then in our brain we say we can't handle this physical withdrawal, I can't handle this headache. Something in our mind says, it is better for me to do this thing, even though I know it's wrong. Like... I'm not going to tell you, again, how much I ate yesterday because I got one bit off and all of a sudden I was carb loading for no good reason. And honestly, last night I was like, I'm just going to eat all the carbs I can tonight because tomorrow I have to be good again. But <laughs> something in my head, that wasn't because I had to. It wasn't because of the physical need. It's because something in my head told me it's better for me to do this right now. If I had true and complete conviction, conviction that it was better for me not to do it, then I wouldn't have done it. So there's still this thinking always messes up, you know. So, so that's what repentance is. Complete and true repentance fully. I don't know if any of us know it completely on this side of heaven. But we get closer. Uh, is when our minds are so convinced that something's right that our actions follow. Um, and that's why the translation was when people change both their hearts and life. But the reality is, when you have a change of heart, you have a change of life. So that's for us Westerners out there that have watered it down and say somehow we can think one way and do another way. Um, I guess people call that a divided heart. They said there's more joy in heaven over sinners who do that than over righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. So... Luke was a follower of Paul. Paul 
was sarcastic a lot. The Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of scriptures. So you can really hear Paul's influence on this because how many out there actually believe that Jesus was calling the Pharisees who were challenging him righteous and the people who were coming after him sinners? The reality is we're all sinners. In a sense, when we take on Christ, when we take on the way of God, we're also righteous because, not because we're without sin, but because God's righteousness is put upon us. But at this point, I think there was kind of a tongue-in-cheek there when he said there is repentance, there is excitement over sinners who change both their life and heart. People who know that they need God. Uh, blessed, are the, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. That We go back to Matthew 5. 5, 5-2, five, sorry, 5-2 in the Beatitudes. If you know you need God, then God rejoices. And then he's talking about the righteous people who have no need to change their heart. Um, that word is echo. Echo. I can't. It sounds like you're clearing your throat. Echo. Um, it means to have, possess, or own. So when they're saying they have no need, basically they're not taking ownership of their need to repent. So why would I rejoice over someone who thinks they're great and they have it all together and they don't need me? Why would I spend time with people, and even Jesus, even though he did spend time with some of the Pharisees, he, I guess he didn't elevate them as much as they wanted. And um, not all Pharisees were bad. Pharisees were the religious leaders. Um, I've heard some theories that Jesus was a Pharisee. And so he's kind of making fun of his own people. Kind of like, if I'm a Christian and I'm a Christian leader... And I'm calling out other Christian leaders who are being hypocritical and saying, you're missing it, you know? doesn't mean all Christian leaders, but a lot. And let's be honest, a lot of Christian leaders. Because we're human, we crawl off the altar. So sometimes you get in leadership and you miss the point. May I not be that way? <laughs> but, so, what he's really saying is not, oh, you're so great, but I'm going to talk about these other people, it's, listen, why would I rejoice over people that feel like they have no need for repentance, for me, for forgiveness? I'm going to rejoice over someone who knows they do. And even people who have already discovered their need for God, still, it's like, you're in a good place, you're safe, I'm not really leaving you, but right now, my focus is going after this one who really needs me. You know, I'm your parent, my child's in the hospital, your sister's in the hospital, I'm not really leaving you. You're taken care of. But there's a, a level of joy when we know your sister's well again, you know? <laughs> and I'll go back to my little um, keyboard thing. This tiny piece of metal, I don't even know its name. <laughs> it's not my child. But it's not that I didn't value my keyboard. I needed it. It's not that I didn't value my mouse. I needed it. But this little missing link... It was more than just the. It was more than just what it was. It was everything tying together. And I think about that too. Our value. Sometimes we see ourselves and we can't see beyond what we see in the mirror. And sometimes our perception in the mirror is skewed. I know sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm not bad looking. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I go, Oh my gosh, my face is so asymmetrical. Or heaven forbid, I look at more than my face and I see 
all of the imperfections from the neck down. There are so many. <laughs> I see the sagging skin. I see the fact that I'm a lot more horizontally blessed than I'd like to be. I see posture that could be better. I see, you know, so, you know, the older I get, you see that and it's, there's not, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, not that I don't want to be healthy or take care of myself, but, and then sometimes I see what I can do for others. Um, and like this other thing, I'm going to go back to this little piece of metal. It's not even just about the metal when the metal's connected where it needs to be. It's not that the metal itself gives the power. The metal is not the power of the computer, but when it's plugged into the computer, oh, the things the computer can do through it. The ways that I'm able to write and connect and click on the resources I need. You know, we're kind of like this piece of metal. We may seem small and insignificant, really easy to lose, but man, did I notice when it was gone. And it's about more than just us. We're valuable. We're beautiful beyond what we can compare. But it's so much more than just us. God wants to do things in us. God wants to do things for us. God wants to do things through us. And we never want to say that it's just about how God can use us. It's just about being used. It's not about our value. But that's part of our value. Because, and that's not, I'm not like usury. I'm not like go do everything for the church and wear yourself. It's not that. But... Part of how God wants to use us is part of our value. I mean, if you think about it, if you buy something at the store, you want it to be useful. You buy it for a reason. You know, when we get a dog, sometimes people get dogs for companionship. Sometimes they get it for emotional health. Sometimes they get it for, you know, to be a guard dog. You know, when you hire somebody to labor, you want to value that person, but they better do their job, you know. <laughs> so there's so much value in us, and it is about who we are inherently, but part of who we are is what God wants to do through us. So when we keep ourselves from God, when we keep ourselves from God, because God's not going to make us. God's not going to say, fine, you want to walk away? Walk away, you know. He's not going to push us away either. But when we keep ourselves from God, we're robbing ourselves of the joy of God's presence. We're robbing ourselves of the joy and connection. We're robbing ourselves of, you know, we always want to self-actualize. We always want to validate who we are and what we think and what we want. And the problem is sometimes what we think is cruddy. <laughs> sometimes what we're doing it's stupid, you know, and sometimes instead of connecting and trying to do things right, it's like, I'm going to feel better by just justifying everything I'm doing. And if it's a mistake, I've, I've had some friends before that they could not be called on any mistakes because if you told them one thing, they could never admit they were wrong because if they thought one thing they did was wrong, they thought it was everything. I, I mean, their kids had said to them, I love you. I love you as a parent, but this thing you know, I'm struggling because this thing you did, I didn't think it was right. And I had to suffer for it. And oh, I'm doing everything wrong. Evidently, I'm a horrible parent. And it's like, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> you know, because it, it's not about us. We, we get to make mistakes and it's okay. But when we're keeping ourselves from that connection, that connection that does bring true conviction where we can get better and better and better. And it's not about saying how bad we are. It's about leaning into God's grace and just not owning, you know, the thing owning our need for repentance not just overall once and for all but every day you know then we're robbing ourselves of what god can do for us we're robbing ourselves we're robbing god of working through us because he's not going to force it god god can still use us either way i'm not saying that god will do whatever god wants to do he's more powerful than our will but 
there are ways that God won't use us unless we open ourselves up and make ourselves willing. And then we're robbing the other people, the people in our lives. I mean, we'll never know. This little piece of metal doesn't really have a brain, so it never knows how important of a connection or link it is. We never know on this side of heaven how important of a connection or link we were for God using us, for others using us, for people seeing God in us when we just show up and connect. You know, you're valuable. I'm valuable. Sometimes I feel super insignificant, which is weird because I have a very high self-esteem. But sometimes I feel super insignificant. Sometimes I see someone. Um, I told you a few days ago I got the jealousy bug because someone whose book was doing way better than mine. And I got really envious. And I had to repent for that. But sometimes, you know, I feel like, you know, not enough people are listening. Not enough people are watching. I'm not making enough money. I'm not being healthy enough. And we get this whole I, 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 I. And, the reality is we're valuable. And because God can recycle anything, even our mistakes is value, are valuable. Even our misgivings are valuable. Anything is just plug in. You know, just plug in. As insignificant as we feel, God can use us to connect with so much. And then we get to plug into the source of everything, you know? So that's an encouragement for, for anybody who doesn't know that source. Please ask. Please ask. There are Email me, KarenMariePennington.com. You can get all of my social media, everything, and you connect with me through that. Ask a pastor, ask a friend. If you're just sitting in the middle of nowhere going, I don't, I don't know. I just ask God. He'll do it. He'll show you. I, I tr Jeremiah 29, 11, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. If you're truly and genuinely saying, God, I need to see you. I need to plug into you. Show me what that means. Show me what it means to repent. What about my, my mind do I have to change? God will meet you in such miraculous ways. Just ask. And for those of us who are Christians who just keep forgetting, I can raise my hand with that. Like that lost piece of metal that gets unplugged sometimes. Sometimes we get unplugged. Just know that God still rejoices every time you come back in every way. Let's not be that Pharisee who've decided I'm righteous enough that I can't own my need for God anymore. Let's own our need for God. Let's own our weakness. Let's take joy even in our weakness because we know that's God's strength. Oh, dear Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your word. This is a very familiar passage. Thank you for me thinking that I lost something that I didn't. Thank you for small, tiny, three-quarters of an inch pieces of metal that I can't even name but that have an important role in my life. And God, how much more, because you know all of our names, do we play a role in your heart and in your lives. Help us to value what you have for us. Help us to value ourselves as your creation. Help us, forgive us for devaluing ourselves and others um, because you've made them more. And, uh, just show us a glimpse of your love for us today. Show us a glimpse of your, of our value in your sight. And may we just see that. May we rest in that in our value because we're yours, God. In your name, amen. Be blessed and may you find joy in me. And may you see yourself in a greater love and the way that God sees you today.